Hello, hello, hello. Uh, it's Moscow Mitch Monday, and we're the Mitch McConnell Retirement Committee coming at you uh, from the other side of the election. So we, uh, we worked hard for six months to uh, do everything we could to get rid of Mitch. Did not work out, uh, unfortunately. So we are, uh, we're doing our kind of post-election uh, recap and analysis episode. Be a lot of self kind of flagellation, I think, you know, a lot of just not very good news, but we're trying to find some positive news, some, you know, kind of a positive spin moving forward. So, you know, tune in, watch, be the judge, let us know if we've uh, succeeded at that. But what we're gonna be doing today, we'll be doing Mitch in the news, because of course he's in the news. Uh, we are gonna have a, uh, an interview with our guest, Dr. Trent Garrison, uh, we're going to be doing our campaigns corner with a little kind of self-reflection and uh, congratulations about some of the work that we did do. Um, and we've got, in fact, a, uh, a call to action because it's too late to vote Mitch out, but we can knock him out of power. And that's what we're going to be uh, focused on in our, our call to action today. Uh, but we've got our usual crew with us. Uh, very thankful to see these uh, friendly faces tonight. Uh, and of course, who are you, where are you coming from, and what does your protest sign say today? And I'm Aaron, I'm coming to you from Childsburg, uh, where I think I am currently breaking my HOA rules uh, because I've kept my Biden-Harris sign up beyond the you know 24 hours you get to take it down after an election. Uh, but I'm gonna challenge them. You know, If the election isn't officially called, uh, or if you know Trump hasn't conceded, uh, I'm going to say I, I get to keep my sign, sign up. Um, and my sign says, my protest sign says, don't mourn, organize. Uh, and I, that's Mother Jones, I think you said that. Uh, so that's me. Who's next? Me. And I'm Kimberly Cecil Jones, and I'm live from Louisville, Kentucky, the actual county of Jefferson County that was blue that wanted Mitch McConnell out. So my sign says today, better than all the other guys on here, hustle so harder. That's what my protest sign says today, hustle harder. And, uh, if it's uh, six minutes after seven, I must be Nate Orshan here broadcasting live from Kitts and my lovely home in South Frankfurt with uh, today out of the uh, my office. I usually broadcast out of Kitts office because they're so smart. They've got all those books in the background. All I've got is a bass guitar, but you know, there you go. And today my sign is going to say, Mitch, please take your money and go. Thank you. <laughs> thank you thank you very much uh all right uh really appreciate uh you guys joining us for this um moscow mitch monday perhaps our final moscow mitch monday uh but we're gonna do mitch in the news uh and that is certainly something that we've always got plenty of fodder for because mitch is always in the news that's what you get for being the senate you know majority leader who is a big huge pain in the rear end and the you know major halting uh of progress in our nation. All right, so I've got an article. Uh, it was uh, it was actually showed up Sunday, Sunday, uh, the Sunday paper of the Herald Leader. Uh, there's this big picture, uh, but then also down over here is uh, an article about Mitch and about how he, what do they say? Reshaped politics in Kentucky. Every time I've looked at this, I've looked at it online a couple of times and I've you know, looked at it in the paper. It's always got a different headline. <laughs> so uh, I found it online as McConnell is one of America's most disliked politicians. Here's why he keeps winning. So this is Daniel DeRocher uh, for the Herald Leader. Uh, and he's got a quote in here from Democratic Governor Paul Patton. While I don't agree with a lot of McConnell's policies, he's the most effective political operative in Kentucky. So... Uh, you know, hard to argue with that statement, certainly. Uh, and Paul Patton, you know, he's an astute observer of Kentucky's politics. Uh, but the article kind of goes on to just talk about how, you know, how Mitch wins, right? Which we just saw it firsthand. Uh, and we were telling you each and every Moscow Mitch Monday what was happening, right? So he spends a ton of money to bash his opponent. 
you know, he gets, he works as hard as he can to have the money he needs to run ads, defining his opponent as negatively as possible. Uh, and then, uh, you know, kind of takes it from there, right? That's kind of his, his primary uh, at- attack. Uh, his primary mode of politics is attack. Uh, usually he tends to over, uh, outspend his opponents. Uh, this did not happen uh, this time, which I think was remarkable. Um, and, uh, but the playbook still worked. Uh, I think what was interesting for this one, this article, at least it goes on to talk about his minions and the, the role his minions have played in, you know, creating the, you know, the Kentucky Republican party that we see right now. Uh, and obviously that's true. And that's just, you know, something we've talked about a lot on this show, you know, how Dan Cameron, uh, Michael Adams, uh, Andy Barr, of course, uh, are all people who've come from, you know, the Mitch bloodline, the Mitch political bloodline, and, have, you know, basically use the same type of approach. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, uh, it does, I think, make some important points about, uh, you know, just the fact that no one likes the guy, but he keeps getting reelected, right? And uh, a lot of, there's a lot of Republican operatives quoted in this piece saying that, look, you know, being liked isn't that important. What's important is, you know, uh, you know, that he delivers for the state. And that's what they kept saying. And they talked about how the art, how the uh, Supreme Court fight, which, you know, inflamed folks who are progressive and liberal and helped drive a lot more finance, uh, funding to Amy McGrath, you know, actually fired up um, Mitch's base. And, you know, I think to some degree that's, there's probably some people who got more fired up and were reminded about how, you know, Mitch is helping their, their values advance and protect their values in in Kentucky. But is that the majority? Is that like a huge number? I I'm, I'm not sure. And the article has zero data, right? It just, and it didn't even have a, maybe it just had one quote from some political operative saying that that's the case. So it's not, you know, one guy's opinion. Uh, I, you know, so I, I think there's a lot of pieces of this story that are kind of missing uh, and I think demographics have driven a lot of what's gone on uh, in Kentucky, certainly. And I think we're going to get into some of that a little bit later. But I don't know. This is uh, what I thought was interesting is it listed off in this article all these different uh, things that Mitch has been called, right? Called the Grim Reaper, which, of course, he called himself that. Cocaine Mitch, which he also called himself that. Uh, Darth Vader, Swamp Turtle, Apex Predator, Hypocrite, Heartless, Mendacious, and words too colorful to print in this newspaper, but what I thought was very interesting is they did not use the one nickname we know he hates, and which is why we have embraced it. Uh, so they did not mention Moscow Mitch, right? Maybe that's because, is that just too, you know, too instructive of a nickname? Because <laughs> once you actually start going down the road, oh, it's Moscow Mitch. Well, why do you call him Moscow Mitch? And well, it's for these two major issues, why he's, you know, how he's failed the American public. Uh, is that, you know, is, is it open a door that they don't want to open in this article or is it just, you know, they don't want to piss off Mitch because he doesn't really like that Mitch nickname, Mitch name. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer for it, but I did think it was uh, worth noting. I noted it at least. Uh, guys, you have any thoughts on this article or this general, the general concept of why Mitch keeps getting reelected here in Kentucky? It, it's clear to me, Aaron, uh, totally clear to me. Out of 120 counties, counties were totally blue. Two little blue dots in the massive amounts of the counties in Kentucky. Probably the reason why Mitch McConnell is back in office is because of his leader, which is Trump. And also forget, we can come up with all kinds of commentary uh, that they think uh, we're going to kill their babies, take their guns, um, the economy, whatever they want to say. But let's just be real today and just say exactly what it is. It is racism, clear and simple. And this is the reason why Mitch McConnell got back in, because it was more important for the majority of Kentucky their candidate win and uphold their white power values than to even think about their families. Uh, Everybody knows that coal is back, not in the way that they want it to. Everybody knows that, you know, we're underneath a siege right now with the affordable care. Everybody knows that we're not trying to take guns. We're trying to take guns away from people that are not responsible gun owners. 
Hell, I own guns, electing since Trump has been in office, never knowing what's going to happen to a black woman. So um, being clear, it is, again, a white lash against a black president. And looking at Mitch McConnell, it wasn't a dog whistle. It was an uh, in your face. I will stop anything that Barack Obama will try to do. I will stop it in the city. And this has carried on for now 12 years. And here we are with a man that gives not a damn about Kentucky or any of its constituencies. So that is my thought about that, Aaron. All right. Thank you, Kimberly. Nate, anything you want to add to that? I, I mean, I don't think I can top that. I, I agree 100% with Kimberly. I think it is white supremacy. Uh, and I think, you know, there's there's a lot of lessons about a victory of, of someone like Mitch McConnell. But, I, you know, chief among them are that um, carrying water and pushing the agenda of white supremacy pays dividends. It really does. It really does. And, and like Kimberly was saying, you know, we saw how he fought uh, President Obama tooth and nail throughout his entire tenure, and especially where the ACA is concerned. And I have a piece about that coming up too later in the show, so we'll, we'll dig back into that a little bit too. But you know, um, it 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 works. It keeps working for these people, and I don't know what's going to make it stop working. I'm sort of, I you know. Uh, I read Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist earlier this year. And uh, one of the big points he makes toward the end of the book is that, look, you know, we've, we've tried and it doesn't work. This whole changing hearts and minds thing, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, you're never going to change people's minds. But you know what does work when you change policy, when you change laws, and they, it, they end up helping white people just as much as they do black people. Hey, who knew? And then they become popular. So, I, you know, to that to that point and in that direction, I would say that's what needs to happen is we need to continue to push for progressive laws wherever we can, because eventually, you know, white people are gonna wake up and say, oh, this is good for me too. So that's what I think. That's great. Uh, well, we have another story. Kimberly's got a story I think queued up, uh, but speaking of who could have won, uh, you know, we know that that Mitch won, uh, but a lot of people, you know, uh, also have other ideas about who maybe could have won this race. Kimberly, what you got? Today, basically uh, made me laugh. The article from the Courier Journal that came out a few days ago, and it was actually talking about choosing whiteness. Um, can you go imagine that? It was talking about social media users say that state representative Booker could have beat McConnell. I have said this from the beginning. I would love nothing more than a black man or black to be a senator of this state. It would make my heart swell just in the same way that I see a black woman about to step into the shoes of the vice presidency. However, coming from one of the most racist states in the U, Kentucky, it's a no-go. And how can I be backed up? All we have to do is look at the map of Kentucky. So we've got these people that it's not even worth mentioning their names, somebody with the Young Turks and somebody that used to be a Democratic um, strategist, um, that type of thing. They're all saying that Charles Booker would have been the better candidate. Would they have been ready for a black man in this state? Let's just be honest and talk about it. Would they have been honestly comfortable. All they would have done in Mitch McConnell's side pieces, not women, but his side pieces of his underground dark operators would have made flyers and rumors and memes about Charles Booker with his fist up in the air and also rumors about all they're going to do is come to your town your white daughters. So that would have scared the whole state just anyway. So all I have to say about that, and I'm going to bring, see what you guys, do you think in the general election against Mitch McConnell, who had everything to lose, the power, the money, everything to lose, 
would Charles Booker have been a better candidate than Amy McGrath? White woman coming from another red part of this state. Well, I don't know if you want to jump on that, Nate. Uh, I, you know, what I'll say is we'll never know. Uh, but what we do know is that, you know, Trump won this state by 27 points, right? So I don't know how a Democrat gets elected when this state went for Trump by 27 points. And if you look at all the Senate races that everyone thought were going to be competitive, com- you know, competitive, if Trump won the state, we lost that race. Uh, it doesn't matter how progressive you, you know, you were, the candidate was. Like, so I think if you look at what Mitch does, which is like, you know, make everyone afraid of his opponent. And how do you do it in this race? Like, you know, she was part of the liberal mob, right? You know, she was part of the, you know, the, the riots. She was there burning, you know, <laughs> burning downtown Louisville, apparently, uh, you know, if you, if you paid attention to Mitch's attack ads, right? So, and, you know, she has that unfortunate tape that shows, you know, she's clearly saying that she's more progressive than anyone in Kentucky, which I challenge her on. Uh, but the idea that she, you know, uh, she can, could be defined that way legitimately, or at least in the eyes of some low information voters, legitimately defined that way. It's like, good Lord, how easy would that have been for, <laughs> for Mitch to do that to Charles Booker, right? Who was clearly c- campaigning on the Green New Deal, who's campaigning on Medicare for all. And, you know, we can agree that those policies are, you know, or we can talk about those policies, but the idea that those would not be have been scary for all the rural voters in Kentucky, like, I'm sorry, just, I just think that, yeah, I think there's, I think he loses worse. I really do. I mean, uh, you know, people say you need something to fight for, you need something that policies to be defended and whatever. And I think we had, pol- she had policies that were, she was fighting for, right? Which was, you know, saving your health care because Mitch is trying to take it away. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, so I, I, we can't know because we can't rerun the race, but I have a very hard time believing uh, that, you know, that, that Charles Booker could have, uh, could have beaten. I mean, I, I will just flat out tell you, there's no way Charles Booker could have beaten Mitch McConnell. Uh, could he have done better than Amy? I don't know. We can't know. But can I add to that uh, before you, Nate? Is that okay? Do I have ladies' prerogative, please? You have you have Kimberly prerogative. Oh well, thank you. Um, I also would like to put this into some perspective as well. Um, so we have a African American male as the Attorney General of the, and let us not forget that he is also a mentee of his mentor, Mitch McConnell. He's a Trumpian as well. And in the black community, we call them coons, okay? I suggest that Daniel Cameron should have read the book I have right here called The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter Woodson. It would do him well. And also we have so many voters in the state of Kentucky that do not research anything. The masses of African-Americans in this strand to vote for Daniel Cameron because he wasn't African-American and finding out later on that he had ties with McConnell and Trump. So uh, that was a fluke. That was a fluke. And the Trumpians knew Daniel Cameron would do whatever that they asked of him. Yep, right on. Uh, You know, I I don't have much to add except to say that, you know, two years ago, uh, Kit and I left our longtime home up in Burlington, Vermont, and relocated to Frankfort, Kentucky. And one of the big reasons was that we were sick of living in a Bernie Sanders echo chamber, you know, Uh, and which, which echo chamber has gotten bigger and bigger across the country in progressive circles. But you know, one of, one of the, the things one hears over and over again is Bernie would have won. Bernie would have won, you know? Um, we heard it especially loud in 2016 and we heard it quite a bit this year as well. And you know, it just reminds me of a lot of the, the energy, you know, that that article uh, sort of quotes and is making use of, 
behind Charles Booker. You know, Charles would have won. Well, you know what? If he if he could have won, he would have won the primary. But he didn't win the primary. <laughs> you know? So it's it's just sort of sour grapes. But it's it's even worse because it it perpetuates this narrative that you know the hard left has the secret sauce that is is the winning sauce. It's not. It's not more of the countries like Kentucky than it is like Burlington, Vermont, you know? Um, and, and so it's, uh, I, I just, I've, I have pity for the people who are, are saying these kinds of things about Booker, you know, and, and uh, I hope that they come to their senses. Uh, yeah, and I think you've got the next article and I want to get to it, but I do want to just say one other thing that just keeps, I keep seeing this in all the kind of comment threads, which of course I shouldn't read comments, but uh, you know, the idea that, you know, we are so angry because we've been, you know, our chances to win were ruined by Chuck Schumer coming in and selecting our nominee. Let me just, you know, from my perspective, Chuck Schumer did not pick a nominee. Chuck Schumer came in and recruited a nominee like he asked Amy to run, uh, you know, she was, I think, very much torn about the idea uh, after her race, uh, house race. Uh, but, you know, the only reason she would do it, I think, is, you know, if, if there was a path to victory, it's kind of as narrow and as rocky as it might be. Uh, but I think she also was very excited. And we heard her, heard it here when she was on our, uh, our live stream before the primary, you know, how, you know, excited about the idea of really giving Mitch a race, right? Bringing enough money and enough resources to bear so that she could really challenge him. That's what she knew she could do, right? She had done such an amazing job as a fundraiser for her house race. She knew that if she, you know, uh, you know, was taking on Mitch McConnell, she would be able to, you know, greatly expand uh, that fundraising network uh, and tap into that kind of narrative that she had, you know, and that's true. And that wasn't because the, you know, Chuck Schumer wrote her a big check. That's because she was an amazing fundraiser. Uh, and we have, you know, the tools through Act Blue to mobilize in small dollar contributions all across the country. Yeah, man, a bunch of liberals from California and New York threw in because they really don't like the idea of Mitch McConnell. And I'm good with that because I hate the idea of Mitch McConnell, you know, and the, uh, the, the money from California spends exactly the same as the money from Kentucky. Uh, so I, you know, I just, I do think that, you know, we had a primary. That's who picked the voter. That's who picked our, our, our candidate, that we had a primary. And yeah, she had a pretty big head start and she had a pretty big advantage because she's an amazing fundraiser. Uh, and Charles Booker ran a, an awesome campaign in the primary. I will say this, uh, it's amazing how she became part of the liberal mob for the general election, but she was a Trump Republican for the primary. I don't know who she really is, I guess. We're all very confused, but yeah, uh, she, you know, got attacked from both sides. And I think she handled the attacks pretty well, clearly not well enough to win. But I, again, I don't think anyone wins this race in this year. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that later. So, hey, Nate, I've got, we've got a story for you and then we're gonna get on with, uh, with I think our guest if we, if we can, so. Well, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, so this is strictly speaking, not about Mitch, but it is about his efforts, his values, and the damage that the combination of his efforts and his values together do to the Commonwealth and to the countries. So the setting, Washington, DC, the Supreme Court tomorrow, November 10th, with brand new and completely illegitimate Justice Amy Comey Barrett joining the increasingly radical right wing of the court. The case, California at all, v. Texas at all. And what's going on is a bunch of conservative attorneys general are trying to get the courts to rule that the entirety of the Affordable Care Act, AKA Obamacare, is unconstitutional because since Congress got a bill passed uh, three years ago that removed the penalty for having to have health insurance, which is called the individual mandate, now the rest of the ACA has got to fall like a flimsy house of dominoes, right? The tortured reasoning that they're banking on is uh, something like, uh, well, since people don't absolutely have to buy insurance anymore because they won't suffer any penalty, and because that individual mandate is inseparable from the rest of the bill, therefore, long pregnant pause, the ACA is unconstitutional, which is, how shall one say this, a pathetic and desperate reach. You don't have to be an economist or a lawyer to know that once the individual mandate doesn't exist, the rest of the law doesn't collapse. No, 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 no. 
it keeps on keeping on doing the things it does, namely making sure that people with pre-existing conditions uh, or for people who are out of college but not economically self-sufficient or for people who might need services like visits to the ER or treatment for mental health and substance abuse disorder or, you know, pregnancy and maternity care. It would be illegal for them not to get insurance and illegal for that insurance not to cover those kinds of services. So there is a little good news. Uh, analysts from the New York Times, Adam Liptak and Abby Goodnow, uh, published uh, on the 8th, they think this is a real uphill battle for these malicious attorneys general. They say that Justice Coney Barrett wouldn't necessarily buy this ridiculous reasoning, and they add that Justice Kavanaugh has made sort of uh, reassuring points in previous cases that, you know, seem to indicate that he may be a little reasonable. But, 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 think for a moment about the kind of evil that has to go through the mind of one of these attorneys general. And let's be honest, the minds of a huge number of Republicans who support them and this effort for those folks to be okay with attempting to get rid of insurance for 23 million Americans. Yes, you take away the ACA, you first of all, you take away insurance for just under 11 million Americans and not just any Americans, right? These are people who can't otherwise get insurance through an employer. Then, second of all, you take away insurance from roughly 12 million other Americans all of whom got their insurance because of the Medicaid expansions that the ACA encouraged, but that without the bill and its money, the states who expanded Medicaid might not be able to afford it. But that's okay, because the majority Republican Senate, under the control of Mitch McConnell, they have a replacement waiting in the wings. Wait, hold on. Oh, I'm being informed that they actually don't have anything lined up to take place of the ACA. So why, why? Why in the name of all that is holy would Mitch support the effort to destroy insurance for tens of millions of Americans without any kind of replacement? And why do we Kentuckians keep letting him do this to us? In the end, is it really as simple as knowing once and for all that the Republican party with Senate leader McConnell proudly leading this evil, gratuitously cruel attempt they can't stand the thought of improved access to healthcare because it came from a black president? Is that the point? Because from where I'm sitting, Mitch and his party are running out of fig leaves to hide the shame of their racism. From Moscow, Mitch Monday, I'm Nate Orshan. Here, here. Uh, that's great. Thank you, Nate. Uh, and we will watch, right? So I think Mitch was on record saying, oh yeah, they're not, no one ever, no one really thinks they're gonna take away the healthcare like, well, why are you bringing the argument to the Supreme Court then? If that's not your intent, if you don't want to win your suit, why did you bring it to the Supreme Court? Yeah, so again, it's a lot of like, don't worry, everyone, don't worry until uh, you're going to need to worry because, you know, Papa with like pre-existing condition is not going to have uh, any health care anymore. <clears throat> I have firsthand, I have firsthand knowledge of this. Uh, my mom, I took her off of life support back in 2009. My mom was only 61 years old. My mom was on dialysis. My mom had numerous of amputations. My mom had detached, two detached retina surgeries, open heart surgery. She had a stroke, all of these many things. And I remember um, she didn't get to partake in the ACA or Obamacare as those that love Obama like to say. However, my mom had Medicare because she was disabled. And her secondary insurance was over $1,200 a month. And my mom getting her pension and disability was not enough for her to live. So thank God she had a daughter like me and a brother with a very prestigious top executive position at the time where we were able to help her with that. I remember the days when we had to sell her house and sell her car to make payments before ACA came. So this means a lot to me because I know a lot of people are going through this. And November the 10th, we're all gonna be sitting on edge, nervous and anxious and trying to keep our faith in God that the ACA will remain or if you have pre-existing conditions, it won't go against you. Yeah. Yep. I think it's hundred percent right that, you know, this is going to, if this goes the wrong way, this is going to really affect a lot of people's lives. 
All right, so we're going to move on from Mitch in the news. We're going to do our quick campaigns corner. And usually this is when we bring on an activist from another organization who's going to touting their efforts. Uh, and so tonight, because, you know, we're not really sure what the next step is, uh, we are going to just take a minute to celebrate our campaign. So I uh, just wanted to say how impressed and how inspired I have been, uh, you know, by the work of the folks who helped pick up the Mitch McConnell Retirement Committee banner, who did some organizing over the past six months under that, uh, you know, that, 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 that sign, which literally we did have, in fact, a great banner uh, for quite a while uh, for our, for our CS Senator Saturdays, uh, which, uh, and here's kind of us by the numbers, right? So thanks to a lot of really ho- uh, hard work by a lot of p- great volunteers, but headed up by uh, Kit, uh, our organizing chair, did really amazing work. Uh, and Sandy, who you know, kind of gave us the model to work with uh, Sandy Downs in terms of voter registration. So we uh, did over five, we reached out to over 5,500 potential new Kentucky voters, uh, asking them to register, asking them to get involved, and that their voice, their vote was their voice. So that was pretty awesome. We partnered with the People's Campaign close to the election. We contacted about 7,000 voters with their safe contact list, no more Mitch lit drops in these kind of high potential voter precincts. Uh, we texted over 40,000 voters in the Kentucky 6th District. Not all were happy <laughs> that, we had, that we had texted them, but we had some amazing exchanges. Uh, actually, one story that I have to share with you, the, the day of the election, I was setting out another, you know, batch of huge amounts of texts, sending it out like click, 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 click. Uh, and so he's like, yes, I'm excited to vote against Mitch. I want to do it. Uh, but I have my, you know, I have my absentee ballot, but I want to go vote in person. So I'm going to go do that. And like, oh, no, you can't. Here's, here's what you have to do. So, you know, I was able to walk him through the information uh, for him and his wife. Uh, and they are, you know, immigrants. They are new citizens and new voters. Uh, and it was so awesome to be doing that through this, like, you know, technology. Uh, and uh, so, again, 40,000 voters uh, were reached, uh, reach, reached out to these voters in the Kentucky 6th District. Uh, we also pitched in to help phone bank for Amy and for Josh Hicks. Uh, we did nine uh, visibility events. So we did our In Real Life Moscow Mitch Monday, which was a great rally where we had Josh there. We had Kathy from Moms Demand Action. Uh, Ella, I think is her name, from you know, Students uh, Demand Action. Uh, and really had a really fantastic run of making sure p- folks knew right there on Harrodsburg Road in Corporate Drive, uh, where, of course, Mitch McConnell, you know, has his office on Corporate Drive, uh, what he was doing. And those were uh, fantastic. Lots of honks, lots of waves. Um, and uh, one other thing, uh, we had actually a few media hits. So we're in the newspaper and on television with those events, which was fantastic. Um and then I just looked through some of the numbers for our video work. I'm very proud of the video work. I'm not as proud as Ken, our producer, who does all the hard work, but I'm very excited about what we've been able to do with video. Uh, we have over 100,000 views uh, over the past 100 days. Uh, we had 24,000 views of our Mitch is Laughing at Us ad that we put together kind of in the final push. Uh, really just a you know, if you look at all of it, you add it all up uh, and maybe it wasn't enough to win the race but it was enough to really engage a lot of folks. And I'm very proud of the body of work that the MMRC contributed to the effort to ditch Mitch uh, and his former intern, Andy Barr. So if you're on our crew of texters, thank you. If you made phone calls, thank you. Uh, if you shared our content and tang- uh, tagged your Mitch backing family members with you know, pre-existing conditions, uh, thank you. Uh, we brought on, I think, a suite of phenomenal guests and experts to share their perspective uh, with our viewers. I think some of our, you know, the folks we brought on were really phenomenal and informative and, you know, just gave us great information for the election. Uh, And yeah, uh, uh, thanks. Thanks for making it possible. So uh, moving on now, we've got a quick call to action uh, and then we're going to have our guest, uh, Dr. Trent Garrison. So call to action. Uh, Usually, you know, we're asking you to Phone, make a phone call to Mitch or something like that. Uh, it's not about that. It's about the Georgia runoff, right? So the future of the Senate is still in the balance. 
currently the Dems lost uh, one seat, right? We lost Doug Jones. Uh, he went down, swamped by his red state, the pro-Trump turnout. Uh, and the Republicans and picked up a couple of, uh, of seats. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the Democrats picked up a couple of seats. Uh, former astronaut Mark Kelly in Arizona, former governor John Hickenlooper in Colorado. Uh, and then we lost all the other races that we thought uh, would be competitive and that we'd have a chance in. Susan Collins hung in there to win at Maine. Cal Cunningham went down in North Carolina. The Battle of the Steves in Montana went with a Republican incumbent. Uh, the Iowa incumbent, Joni Ernst, was not held accountable for not knowing the price of corn and soybeans, which, you know, I don't know the price of corn and soybeans, but I'm not the senator from, uh, from Iowa. Um, so what does that mean? <laughs> that means that we've got one last election to try to take the Senate back and to devote Mitch, right? So we've lost in our fight to retire Mitch, but we could still win the effort to demote Mitch and make him the minority leader in the Senate. Uh, and if we want uh, President-elect Biden uh, and Vice President-elect Harris to be able to move their agenda forward, this is critical. This absolutely could not be more important. Uh, there's some great articles out there about how Mitch can stop really everything uh, if he wants to, if he is the majority leader, which, you know, we don't really need to hearken back too far to that, right? You know, uh, that's what he did for President Obama. Some people say that, you know, oh, he'll be different with, you know, President Biden because, you know, he and Biden were in the Senate for so long together. No, <laughs> Mitch is not about personal relationships. Mitch is about power, partisan, corporate power. So he will use whatever he can to stop whatever he wants to stop. Uh, and I think it is critically important that if you care, <laughs> he is about, he's about money. He is about money. Uh, so if you care about our policies, you know, if you care about a progressive future, you care about just basic health care, if you care about climate change being addressed, you know, Biden can sign on and get us back in the um, Paris Accords, and he said he's going to do that on day one, sort of the process of doing it on day one. But if you actually want to see action on climate change, it takes more than signing the Paris Accords. We are going to have to move legislation. Uh, and that means, and if he just wants to have good leaders appointed for his cabinet, he's going to need to get sign off from goddamn Mitch McConnell. <laughs> uh, and that is all right. So I hope you're fired up. Uh, so John Ossoff is taking on incumbent David Perdue because Perdue didn't get to 50% plus one. Uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock is taking on Kelly Loeffler, the very corrupt you know, insider trader, rich lady uh, for that special election runoff. Uh, there are lots of ways to help. You can donate. You can do boots on the ground. Uh, you can, we'll be able to text, we'll be able to make phone calls. I just shared on the Mitch McConnell retirement page, a post from a group there in Georgia, a, a coalition of progressive groups, folks like Indivisible working together uh, to help deliver Georgia. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's got a, a great list of resources. We will continue to push out resources. I think we're gonna do a few things uh, in the coming months to try to try to really focus on this. But do stuff now, uh, help empower the groups to have the resources that they need to keep moving uh, on this election. So that's the call to action. I hope you do something. I'm going to do some stuff. You can take a, you know, you can take a few days off. You, de you deserve it. Um, my kids are going to divorce me. I don't think that's a thing. But they're about done with uh, me uh, being like a full-time volunteer uh, on campaigns. For So I'm going to take a little time off. But I'm going to get back uh, the Georgia race because uh, we really need to demote Mitch McConnell. Uh, all right. So we are now moving uh, to our interview, uh, which I'm very excited to have with us, uh, Dr. Trent Garrison, uh, to help us walk through the bloodbath we saw here in, here in the Kentucky Six uh, and in this race. Trent, how are you today? Good, good. It's uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my first time on, so I'm excited to talk to you guys. Awesome. And what, uh, you know, I know you're a, a nonpartisan, uh, but what would your protest sign say today, Trent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, you know, my, my I guess I should say first that my views represent me only and not part of any organization that I'm a part of, but uh, 
given that I'm here in my nonpartisan hat, I guess I, my protest sign would, would say I'm excited to analyze the statistical results of the election. Boo, boring, I know. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> so uh, I am excited to analyze these re uh, results as well. Uh, give us the big picture. What went on? What happened? What, are, what, are we, what did we see on last week? Well, you know, when, when you were emailing me asking me to, uh, to come on the show, I was looking at the 6th District race, um, looking at the, the Senate race, Amy McGrath and Mitch McConnell, and also looking at the presidential race in Kentucky and how those have changed over time. I went back, you know, six or eight years and I've looked at party registration and um, I'm, I'm basically just comparing that. So where would you like to start? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think the sixth district is really interesting. You know, it keeps getting lifted up as like a purplish district, as a competitive district, you know, and what we saw, you know, well, what, what did we see? What, what did we see uh, last week here in the 6th District? Yeah, so, so Josh Hicks lost by almost 17 percentage points, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, as you all are well aware, there, there weren't very many polls in that race. There are probably some internal polls and so forth. But as far as like public polls, not very many at all. There was actually a poll that was done midsummer. Um, I don't have the name in front of me that had Josh Hicks up by two points. And given what we know about that district and, you know, that Ben Chandler was there for quite a while and that, um, you know, Amy McGrath only lost it by about three percentage points a few years ago, um, I was I was a little surprised now that, that he lost by about 70 percentage points. Now, it is a, you know, a Trump presidential election year. So there's probably a, a certain amount of people who are going to vote straight ticket or, you know, they, they come out for Trump and uh, and, and just vote. For, for, for whoever the Republican is that has mentioned his name or, you know, that sort of thing as well. Um, but, but given that the, the race has fluctuated, it's, it's really gone all over the place over the past few years. It's a little bit of an unpredictable district. It, you know, a lot of it has to do with is dependent upon, you know, the turnout in Fayette County, Franklin County, and a few of the other smaller counties that sometimes vote Democrat. But, uh, but this time it didn't, uh, it didn't turn out very well for for Josh Hicks. And then, on in the sixth district, we had another race in between Amy's race and we had Josh's race. We had the statewide races in 2019. Do you know, like, how did uh, how did uh, Andy Bashir do in the sixth district? Yeah, I actually I actually pulled all of those numbers the best I could, and it's it's really tough to do that because the the some of the precincts are split between Harrison and Jessamine counties, but. Um, I did the best I could, and it looks like uh, Andy Bashir won that district in uh, by about 14 points in 2019. Now, if you go on down the ticket, some of the others, like the Secretary of State, Attorney General, so forth and so on, those numbers were different. So I, I ran those numbers actually last year. <laughs> I, I found them and pulled them up. Um, the uh, Secretary of State, Heather French Henry, and that actually won that by about a little over seven percentage points as well. But once you get down to the Attorney General, um, the, the Republican won it in that case by about two and a half percentage points. Auditor by about a little over six percentage points. Treasurer, the Republican won it by about almost 13 percentage points. And Agriculture Commissioner Republican won by about 17 percentage points. So, you know, it's, it's quite a span over that. But I think, you know, a lot of people were looking at Governor Bashir's race and the statistics from that race, including me. Uh, I looked at it on another program I was on the, uh, about a week ago uh, when we were doing predictions. And I thought, you know, be because Andy Bashir is popular and you know, it's appro approval rating. Last I saw 63 percent. I've seen it all the way up to 70 percent. I thought that might offset some of the popularity of Donald Trump in this in this state. And I thought I actually had that as, as pulling uh, the six district voters up in, in my thoughts and predictions anyway. So anyway, he won it by about 14 percentage points last year. And Josh Hicks lost it by about almost 17 percentage points this time. So like a huge swing if you're looking at that as a um, as a bellwether. Yeah. And then turnout. Did you have the other turnout numbers from uh, 2020 versus 2018 or? Uh, for, for the for that district? Yeah, I believe. I believe there are 380,000, if I have that number uh, correct, in the sixth district. This yeah. for, for um, 
for 2020. And for 2019, around 275,000. And that's just an estimate because, you know, the, of the county splitting. So, you know, a lot more this time, obviously, because it's a presidential year. Uh, we did have pretty, you know, pretty high turnout last year because it was a contentious gubernatorial election, but, you know, quite, quite a higher turnout this time. And part of that's because of the mail-in ballots. Part of the, say, I'm sorry, what was that? Part of that. Said part, of the, part of this this year, the reason we had a lot more, I think, is presidential, but also the fact that we could do mail-in voting. Yeah, it was easier to vote uh, for this election than any election in the history of Kentucky politics, right? You know, so we've got these horrible, horrible, you know, the standard election, 6 a.m. 6 to 6 p.m., you know, uh, ridiculous um, and not easy to do absentee or early voting. So, um yeah, this is definitely, you know, you would expect to see higher turnout. And, you know, it is interesting. I think that the, I'm not going to write off the sixth district. I think this is a, a very specific situation, though. And I think, you know, when, the, you know, the orange Führer is like on the top of the ticket, I think he's going to bring out a lot of folks. And this still is like, there's not a lot of suburbs in the sixth district. You know, it's like there's there's some, uh, but this is not, you know, if you see where the Democrats have been making gains nationwide, it's they're bringing back the suburbs. And this is not a suburban district, right? Uh, so that they just don't have the landscape that is favorable to that kind of a shift. Well, Madison County di didn't look very well <laughs> this time for Democrats. And Madison County has been somewhat of a swing district. So I kind of look look to Madison County sometimes as a, as a bellwether as well. And of course, you know, as we mentioned earlier, going back to 2018, Amy McGrath did pretty well in that district. You know, she the poll numbers had her about even, maybe up a little bit, um, but she ended up losing by a little over three percentage points. And if you go back to Nancy Jo Kemper in 2016, she lost by over 20 percentage points. So, you know, going from that to 2019, when Governor Bashir took it by, you know, approximately 14 percentage points, that's a that's a pretty big swing. In 2016, was uh, you know, St. Nancy Joe's race was another uh, you know presidential year too, right? That's right. So I think there are forces at work that you know can overwhelm the kind of willingness to give a, a Democrat a shot if it's if it's the right Democrat. Um, interesting. All right. Any any other questions about that race? Uh, those races for Trent? I'll just say one other quick thing. And you mentioned Nancy Joe Kemper and the turnout. The turnout was. That year was about 330,000, if my numbers are correct here. So uh, the, the higher turnout, it appears just by looking at these numbers that they benefited Republicans in this case, but the higher turnout in presidential years. I have a question for uh, Dr. Garrison. I'd like to know what exactly happened between the uh, Dr. Owensby and Thomas Massey race. Um, as I know that Thomas Massey is not well liked in Washington, not even from his own party. How, how did that even happen? That's a good question. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, uh, you know, Massey, from my understanding, is, is disliked a bit on both sides based upon some comments he's, he's made and his, uh, uh, well, I won't get into that, but, but, but he ended up winning that by, by quite a bit as well. You know, it was one of those races where it could have been, it, you know, we thought based upon the Bashir numbers that that area had been trending a little bit bluer just in the last year or so, but um, but he ended up winning by by quite a bit in that one. I don't know the exact numbers, maybe twenty or, or so percentage points. If anybody has those, we can look them up. But uh, uh, it is through a bit of a wrench in things for uh, for Democrats. Hmm. I have a question about sort of polling and, and how it's conducted these days. You know, I mean, we all we all know that uh, landlines are sort of going the way of, of the dinosaur and that uh, cell phones aren't necessarily as well sort of indexed, uh, you know, the way the old landlines used to be. So presumably it's a little bit harder for, to get for pollsters to get in touch with cell phone numbers. And I'm just wondering what you think sort of the future of of uh, that kind of randomized polling is like, is it going to get, uh, do you anticipate that it's going to get worse, like less reliable, or do you think that they're coming up with ways to make it, you know, sort of a little more bulletproof? 
Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I'm my thoughts on that are kind of in flux right now because, you know, I, I'm sure all of you guys watch or, or read 538 and, you know, other sites like that, 270, and, you know, watch the polls come in, Real Clear Politics. Real Clear Politics has a bit of a more of a Republican lean to it. I, I, I think I would I think I would say, given that they give some some polls that are traditionally far more Republican, uh, they, they weight them evenly, even though Rasmussen's like a C-rated poll and, uh, and, and some of the other ones. But um, yeah, that, that's an excellent question. I, I usually follow when, when I see polls, when I see polls, I go to 538's, I use 538's rating system because I know they, they've spent a tremendous amount of time on that and they've, they've taken so many races and see, you know, do those, do those polls tend to trend Democratic? Do they trend Republican? Are they right on? And based upon how many they have and how many correct races they've called and that margin, they, they rate them on a rating system of A plus all the way down to D. And then, you know, they ban them. <laughs> they ban some of the other ones. But, uh, you know, a lot of people have given polls a hard time the last two presidential election cycles. But when it's all said and done, as of right now, I looked up the, the presidential race as it stands right now, and there's still plenty of votes to come in in New York, California, different places like that, Alaska. Um, most of, most of the big centers, I think, are urban, and you know, will Biden will continue to gain votes. But Biden is currently up over three percentage points, and uh, which is you know an improvement on Hillary Clinton four years ago. So I think the the average of polls, you know, before the race, if you look at real clear politics, wasn't much different than this. And 538 was around seven, a little over 7%. So when it's all said and done, they weren't off as much as people, you know, originally thought they were going to be. But uh, there's still still some problems with polls. I know I'm not answering your question because I'm not a pollster. I don't, I, I wouldn't know how to answer, uh, you know, what, what the future of polling is going to be like. But um, it's, I imagine that uh, that the fact that they've been off the last two elections, even you know if it's three or four percent, that's still a significant percent because a lot of those major A plus A rated pollsters were um, ha- had made those adjustments that you were talking about, and they were still off a little bit. Some of them were off a lot, so we'll yeah. I'm I'm curious to see when we're the, the people who really know what they're talking about. Uh, look back on this several months later and and look at the polls like Nate Silver is a good one and his and his crew at 538 what they will conclude about polling this time around hey so uh looking at polls though uh or back to the results if we could so I'd ask you to look at 2016 versus 2020 statewide so how did Biden do versus Hillary like where's Kentucky what does Kentucky look like you know uh four years later what's what's your kind of top line on that yeah, so in 2016, uh, Donald Trump won by about 30 percentage points, and uh, and Trump won uh, this year in Kentucky. I don't know how many votes are still outstanding. I think the vast majority of them are in, probably 99 percent at this point. But uh, the last I looked earlier today, he won by 25.9 percentage points, according to the Secretary of, of State's site. I know it's changed a little bit over the last few days. So you know that's a difference of about four percentage points, and that's interesting to me. I, I, you know, I don't think I would expect it to be exactly the same, but the fact that Biden was actually able to improve on those numbers by about four percentage points is interesting. You know, where did those numbers come from? We don't know the answer to that question yet. There, of course, have been exit polls and, you know, different people think different things about exit polls. But where did those votes come from? Are those from people who are, are, are you know, just sick of Trump or are they voters that came out for the first time? You know, where are those voters coming from? Are they independents that switched over? Um, so I'm, I'm really curious about that. But but uh, Biden did improve a, you know, a decent amount upon upon the numbers of Hillary Clinton. As far as the counties, it, it's the same. You know, Fayette Jefferson, vast majority of votes are coming from Fayette County and Jefferson County to to. If, if it weren't for Fannie Jefferson, I mean, it would be an extreme bloodbath. I'm actually a little bit surprised that that Franklin wasn't in in one of those counties this time as it has been in the past. But uh, Fayette and Jefferson and some of the suburbs and some of the other areas were close, but didn't pull it off. 
Um, and then how about Mitch? We how about Mitch statewide twenty fourteen versus twenty twenty? How did uh, what's his trajectory looking like? So the twenty fourteen uh, McConnell won that race by about fifteen and a half percentage points against Allison Lundgren Grimes, and in twenty twenty McConnell won that one by just under twenty percentage points. So McConnell did worse than Trump statewide this election, right? We saw that, um, and it's interesting that you know 2014 which obviously was not a presidential race so that was the kind of top of the ticket was that was that race uh and um yeah i think i think he was able to outspend allison lundergren grimes by a fair amount for that race this one he wasn't i don't know <laughs> looks like it's mitch's seat as long as he wants to be there i don't know I have a hard time looking at these results and going oh yeah we've cracked the code i, I don't know i don't know what it like tell you uh trent in your non-partisan way uh but if you see any you know weaknesses in uh in mitch's game polling or his results game let me know yeah I, I think one other thing that we have to consider is the democratic versus republican registration over time in kentucky if you go back 10 years it was you know we're democrats are probably up 10 points. I didn't go all the way back that far, but I went back to 2014 and uh, 2014 registration was 54, 54% registered Democrats back then. And now the most recent numbers that we got are just under 47% Democrat to 44% Republican. And as you all know, Kentucky's historically been an overwhelmingly Democratic state, not only, not only in registration, but also control of the House and governor seats and, and all that sort of thing. And it's been trending Republican for a long time now, and my friends and I have been talking about this, you know, at what point is that going to bottom out? Because it, it's it's really difficult to to predict that because we have folks who are uh, in, a, in our elections, you know, a lot of times we vote hardcore for the for the Republican, but, you know, you'll have an Andy Bashir who pulls off who pulls off a, a race and a Steve Bashir and, you know, go back. Uh, so. And, you know, different people voting different ways on, on the lower level races. So it's a it's a it's a difficult state to predict. I don't know when th this number is going to be reflective of what the, what the votes actually are going to turn out to be. Yeah, I, uh, I was seeing something on Twitter. Somebody's you know, very concerned that things, you know, things are things are hinky with the results because the registry party registration versus the votes right you know I'm like i'm sorry you just can't really put a lot of stock in party registration in kentucky as somebody who's done a lot of phone banking let me tell you because someone has a d next to their name that means nothing uh i look more at the like you know the address because uh, if you're calling into some of these rural counties they have not voted for a democrat at the federal level you know for generations uh, but they're still Democrats. They're still registered Democrats, and they will give you an earful about why Nancy Pelosi is, you know, the devil. Uh, but uh, you know, I think the other thing that's really interesting—you mentioned the kind of the every once in a while the governors. Yeah, there's still is, is there. I don't think there's been a Republican governor that's gotten reelected in this state uh, because the ridiculous thing is, like culturally, all these you know former Democrats—they all vote for Republicans at the federal level. Uh, they like the cultural piece, the guns, gods, and gay kind of thing. They're they're they are there for the you know the grievance, you know, as Kimberly mentioned earlier, the racism. Uh, you know, they don't. I don't think racism is necessarily their motivating force when they go to the ballot box. But all the other stuff that's wrapped up in it, the white supremacy certainly is. Uh, and then, you know, they actually see the governance the Republican Party delivers. Right. And they, they see the cutting of the pensions or the attack on the pension pensions, the attack on public workers. You know, they, they see what actually Republican governance brings them directly because governor, you know, state level government government is way more direct and in your face than federal government. That is so diffuse. Right. So when they actually see it, they don't like it. And they don't want it again. They don't want a second helping of it. But at the federal level, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, but you know what? I really don't like brown people. And I really want to make sure that that wall gets built so they don't come and take whatever, right? So I don't know. Uh, that is a very partisan uh, view. But I will say this. I think you know that, that there's, there's opportunities uh, in that. Because I'm only thinking about this from like, yeah, it was a bloodbath. And man, it's a bummer that we have six more years of Mitch, which, you know, 
looking at his hands. I don't, I don't know if we've got six more years of Mitch, but I do know that, you know, we need to make some headway as Democrats. If we want to see better governance, if we want to see better policy. If we want to, you know, hold the horrible delegation that is, you know, going to be setting up shop in Frankfurt very soon, hold them to account. We need to get a better balance. Uh, and uh, that's where I'm, I'm very interested in hearing people's thoughts and ideas. And I think, you know, we're, we've gone long, uh, I'm going to give, you know, Trent final words here, but you know, it's like, what's, a, what's the next step? What do we need to be doing to do better? Uh, and I don't know if Trent has any ideas about that or if the data give him any ideas about that, but uh, any final thoughts you got for us, Trent? Yeah, just really quickly. Uh, th first of all, thanks for having me on. I really enjoy talking about this sort of thing. Uh, you know, it, it's really important to think about the house, the, the state level house and Senate seats and reorganization next year. I think that's where it, where it all starts. 2021 is going to be an off year. So that's where the people who are interested in Democratic politics or Republican politics can can start at the precinct level, get elected, go all the way up to the county level, up to, to the state convention. That's how you elect people at the state central executive, executive committee in the, in the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, too, I guess. So um, that's where it starts. You, know, you hear a lot of people complaining about you know this and that, but unless you're involved, you can't really complain. <laughs> That's a good point. So yeah, uh, you know, if you didn't vote, you don't get to complain. And if you don't get involved with your party, you don't get to complain about your party. You know, you don't. And um, while we will not have any role in voting for Nancy Pelosi, uh, we can certainly have a role in, you know, what the Kentucky Democratic Party looks like. I don't think we have any Republicans watching our show. Maybe, maybe we do. You can go influence the, you know, the Republican Party of Kentucky. Uh, if you see them, tell them I was sick of the mailers and they were just a lie a day coming my way from the Kentucky uh, Republican Party of Kentucky. Those were horrible. The ones against Josh, the ones against Amy. That's the kind of the party. That's all I could see. Uh, the Republican Party of Kentucky was just horrible mailers coming uh, to me every single day. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Trent. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for bringing some data uh, our way and your views and uh, absolutely appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So uh, we are going to go through um, our close, uh, our final segment, uh, which we give to uh, Kimberly uh, to, 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 to escort us out this evening. What's up next for the Mitch McConnell Retirement Committee, otherwise known as the MMRC? Well, honestly, we don't know just yet. Uh, we want to continue to support the progressive candidates, the political activism in our state of Kentucky. And one last thing, Tuesday proved that we need way more organizing if we're going to get better. Politicians elected statewide, and we want to help empower that. That's just who we are. We'll be doing video efforts, uh, so be looking out for that. Stay online with us. Still invite your friends. We'll be keeping up to date with information on our page, of course. But these uh, video efforts, they're gonna be a lot shorter, more targeted for you, and absolutely support boots on the ground, uh, which is always important in organizing. The great efforts we were able to support with the MMRC will need even more support moving forward. The Rand Paul Retirement Committee, perhaps? Mm. We're not sure, but we're gonna to need to continue to hold Mitch to account. Depending upon what happens in Georgia in January, Mitch will likely be the key force keeping our entire nation from moving policy forward, which is a travesty. And that's absolutely a fight worth having. So I hope that everybody during this time has been doing their breathing exercises that Dr. Bell taught us last week. And also you can get a dose of political information with myself as the host and Mike Boyer and Betsy Foster on the Jones Report every Sunday at 1 p.m. on the Facebook page, the Jones Report radio program. So keep looking out because we're not exactly leaving. We might just change a little bit. So until then, we love you. And thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Dr. Trent Garrison, for that great analogy this evening. And always, most gracious of appreciation to our producer, Ken. 
who is wonderful and absolutely awesome. So until then, we love you and we'll see you next time.